Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 130. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us today a gentleman who has the most interesting and painful and shocking story that I can't wait for him to share with you today. And it's all tied into financial freedom and real estate investing. So with that, welcome to the show, AJ Osborne. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for giving us some of your time. So I just can't wait. Let's just dive in and give our listeners your background and your heart-wrenching story. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, so the basics, I have four kids, um, I'm married and I, I grew up in sales. So I sold insurance. That was uh, my job. I was commission based. Um, and uh, we were having our third child and I knew my wife wanted another child. And I thought, okay, we, we had to live on really low part of our expenses because my income would fluctuate right? Because if I had a big client that would leave or whatnot, um, we had fairly large fluctuation and I, and I wanted something more secure and I wanted something that was more passive. And two, I had some pretty big dreams and hopes. I wanted to do more and grow more. And, and I realized, really realized that when you're dealing with income and when you're dealing with um, finances, you need to be able to compound right? To get bigger and more results and to progress and move forward. I basically started feeling like I was on a treadmill. So I started looking at other avenues and I, that led me, as I'm sure a lot of people do, to real estate, right? And I, I, I started looking and we ventured into self-storage. And so um, we approached it. I was a business consultant and did mergers and acquisitions. Um, and we had clients with health benefits. And so I, I was really big into like business and like the policies and procedures and functionalities. So self-storage was great because it's an active business, which acts like retail. We sell products, you have people come in every day and we could buy facilities that were not being run like a business. They were being ran like a passive real estate asset. And then we could turn them around and turn them into a full functioning business increased dramatically the revenue and the value. And so it became a value add system. And that's where we got started. Wow. Okay. So did you do that while you kept your sales job? So it was going on simultaneously? Yes. I worked uh, two jobs for years. So um, we built it and I did this with um, family members, my father, brother-in-law. We started the real estate uh, company and we worked um, our, and we ran our brokerage firm and we did sales and we invested our capital as much as we could constantly into the real estate business and always wanted to keep our job because we wanted to build up the side business, but we couldn't take money out of it to pay us because we needed to grow it. And, you know, starting up these things, especially our big aspirations, it needed a lot of capital and it was going to run negative. So we did, we worked two jobs for long time. And these are very full-time jobs. It's not like this is for both jobs 24 seven. I traveled constantly. You know, it was, it was, we were very busy. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I admire that hustle and I guess it paid off because tell us about like what happened next when you had your medical event and how the passive income helped you out with that. So it, 
it really did. I, you know, it, it's crazy to look back and it, we were building it up and it, it just seems, you know, the fact that we were like, we need to make a change. And I felt the importance of it. And I didn't really understand why, but I really knew. And I just knew that we needed to go into real estate. And I knew we needed to do this. So we went head in. We were like, this is our new way of doing it. The month, it was like the month after like four years that we became really profitable. And we we're like, oh, this is going to work out great. And it was like, we finally achieved, you know, a financial freedom um, that was at a really high level. And it was like, oh man, and I just fell on top of the world because I was running this brokerage firm, still sales. And I had this huge portfolio. We had about a hundred million in assets. So it was cash flowing crazy. And it was like this, you know, I'm on top of the world. And it was like the month that we really turned the tide. And I, I started to get sick. I started to not feel really well. I started to get sore. We went into the emergency room and I'm like, something's wrong. They're like, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So we went out. I'm like puking in the parking lot and we get home and I'm in so much pain. I get in the bathtub, just trying to soak my legs, right? To make them feel better because they were just hurting so bad. And I, I couldn't get out of the bathtub. My legs weren't working. And I called to my wife. She drugged me out. We ran to the hospital and they're like, we don't know what to tell you. There's nothing wrong with you except for the fact that you now can't walk. Oh my uh, gosh. Could a few oh. hours ago. And the paralysis kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and before we knew it, um, I was starting to lose my ability to breathe. Um, my wife was like, we're going to take care of you because we, I was in so much pain. It was unreal. I mean, I was just, I just sweat and pass out from pain and they couldn't give me pain meds or anything because they're like, it's going to, you're having a hard time breathing and pain meds suppress your breathing. So she's like, we're going to take care of you. We're, you know, my breathing got to the point where I couldn't breathe without a mask. And what was happening is that the paralysis was moving up. And before I knew it, I could no longer breathe. And they put me into a coma and I woke up out of my coma and I was paralyzed from head to toe. I couldn't move anything. Um, I opened up my eyes and, you know, I was staring at a wall um, and I was hooked up to tubes to keep me alive. I had them coming out of my throat they cut me into the trach and I had them in my stomach um, and I laid there for months trying to, to come back and uh, you know we we were too scared to let my kids see me for the first while um, and it was touch and go we didn't know whether I was going to survive for the first 10 weeks I couldn't speak so I couldn't communicate um, I communicated through blinking um, and that's how I would talk to them and try to tell them um, and I so it was really touch and go I had basically no improvement for weeks on end. And so they just didn't know if we were, I was ever going to come back, if I was ever going to move again, or if that was it and figure it out from there. And I was going to be basically in a vegetable state. And so not a vegetable state. I was totally aware mentally, but I was just completely paralyzed. So um, we eventually brought my kids in after about um, four weeks, we decided we have to show them. And so they brought my kids in because we didn't know if, it was going to end or not. And I was just attached to tubes and everything. And they had to go through that. And eventually I started to come back slowly bit by bit. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. I've been coming back. I'm still paralyzed uh, below the knees, but my recovery has been wonderful. I'm up. I can, I can walk with my leg braces and I'm out and about. I'm trying to make the most out of life. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the hospital and it was, it was Christmas Eve. 
and I'm looking out the window and it's snowing and I, the hospital was going to let me go home for the first time in months. They gave me five hours. They were going to get me all hooked up, take me home. So I could watch my kids open Christmas presents in the morning. And I'm looking out I'm so excited that I gave them home. And I was thinking, you know, what are all the wonderful things that my kids are going to open up? And I wonder what my wife got them and everything. And I was thinking, what an incredible blessing that I'm worried. I'm thinking about what my kids are going to be opening up for Christmas. I'm not thinking about how we're going to pay bills. I'm not thinking if my wife now has to leave my children and me paralyzed to go get a job and, you know, to pay the mortgage and to put food on the table. And after I got out of the hospital, they took me home and laid me in a bed. And um, my wife just took care of me all day long. And she managed the four kids, took them to school, everything like that, gave me my meds, and helped me get around the house to eat and everything else like that. And um, we had the ability to do that. And that came from the passive income that we had when we started buying real estate and doing that. So I'm obviously a huge believer in um, you know, creating an investment strategy and to building and to taking control of your life through um, finances. Because at the end of the day, uh, what happened to me was sudden, it was dramatic. I was young, healthy, you know, it, last thing in the world anyone have, would have ever imagined. I didn't even know what was going on. It was something called Guillain-Barre, which meant my white blood cells attacked my nervous system and left it rendered so my brain couldn't communicate with my body. Um, and, but I'd never even heard of that. They told me what it was and I didn't even know what it was. And you know, nobody that I knew had heard of it. We were all like, what are you talking about? And so it was so totally out of the blue. And even though that's dramatic and everything for me, all of us reach a point where we can no longer work for a wage. We all reach a point sometime in our life and we all hope, you know, we don't expect to die while we're working. So it's going to happen. It needs to be addressed. And it, too, if you have goals, things in life you want to accomplish, you know, it's just, it's so intrinsic now in, in our lives and what we do. It's just so vital that everybody knows it. But I feel like our school system, everything else like that, it's not set up for us to learn these things. And is not set up to understand how our world works. And it's just that is so important to me now. And so I'm, I'm happy to get on and share my message, hopefully help other people understand better how to do that. Oh my gosh, what an amazing story. So now you're spreading the message of um, financial freedom, which I love. I know with the, when you mentioned school, I had my um, youngest son, I said, I'll pay you 20 bucks to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think when he was 10 years old and he did. And then he started throwing out, oh, well, that's not an asset. That's a liability. He's like a little, <laughs> which I'm really glad, like, because otherwise kids have no idea. I mean, it's just not in our school system. Rich Dad, Poor Dad should be a textbook in school when, and it's written at such a low level. So listeners, if you haven't read it, if your kids 10 and older haven't read it, have them read it because it's very easy it's written on a very basic level. It's not complex. You don't need to understand financial calculators and time value of money and cap rates and all that. You know, it's basic and easy to understand just to get that concept and how important it is. I mean, AJ, oh my gosh, I bet you and your wife were just so thankful for that passive income and your hard work in advance. Creating that passive income really paid off and allowed you guys to focus on your healing. So did they ever, I know my listeners are going to be wanting to know what, did they figure out what caused um, your condition to come on? 
So they, you never know for exactly sure, but it's usually a reaction towards a virus or a cut or bacteria. I know a guy that drank um, milk that had gone bad and that happened because what, once your white blood cells are activated to attack foreign substances and to kill them, bacteria and viruses, all that stuff, they get confused or they go on overcharge and your body starts to produce tons of them, tons wow. of white blood cells. And they identify the nervous system for some reason, nobody knows why, as a threat. And then they just rip it to bits and shreds. And they, um, they actually think that Alexander the Great, so Alexander the Great, they said lied in a bed and screamed for like months, right? Then they thought he was dead, but his body was like perfectly preserved for like, <laughs> it didn't rot. And so they thought he was a god. Well, now they actually think that it was Guillaume Barre. So they're like, oh, this, they didn't know what it was at the time. Right. But, um, it's, so it's really rare, but it happens at random and it can happen to anybody at any time. Um, and so, yeah, they think that I just got a virus and that set it off. Wow. It just, it goes to show um, people who think they're like young and invincible. Cause I mean, I think we all think that when we're 20 or thereabouts that we're not invincible and be prepared, do what you can yeah. to be prepared to um, be ready. And I, and I've never heard someone like phrase it the way you did. Like we're all going to come to that point where we can't work or maybe we don't want to work. So get that passive income lined up and ready to go or um, we will regret it. <laughs> It'll be a challenge or we'll become a burden on family or somebody else. So, and you're right. It's funny because, you know, they don't talk about the Southern school system. In fact, we're so passionate that my wife actually bought a school. And uh, <laughs> um, so we're going to teach in their economics, things like that, because, you know, just as important as it understand our natural world, it is just as important to understand, you know, our economic world. And in fact, it's very arguably that that's going to have way more of an impact than anything else will be. Um, right. The odds of you even needing to understand calculus, it's like none, unless you're going to be a calculus professor. Right. right. But <laughs> understand where money comes from and how it works. That affects every single decision that affects where you live, that affects who you marry, that affects how your kids turn out, that affects every single aspect of your life every single day. And we don't teach it and people yeah. don't understand it. And that is so strange that you go to school to prepare you for the future, yet the things that affect your future more than any other thing that expect, affect your opportunities, your happiness, on and on and on and on, they don't teach you. And so it is left up to us to learn and to learn how to implement those strategies. And two, when you understand them, and it's not, I was never like a super smart guy, right? I understand basics and I was taught, understood economics and I love that kind of stuff right? And business and entrepreneurship, but the effects that it has your life, that you can take control of your life. And you can do amazing things and accomplish such. It's just so interesting to me that, you know, and there's obviously a need and we all want to learn more because the effects are so massive and it really is life changing and what you can do with it. You can start schools and charities, affect other people's life, change your life or your kid's life. Um, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's really important stuff. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about um, real estate investing in more detail then. Can you tell us about your first deal or yeah, the first so one that was important to you? <laughs> Yeah, you know, really, I've been in, um, I guess, around real estate. We purchased some 
real estate assets, but we were never investing in real estate. We started to say we needed to diversify. We bought a small storage facility because it just seemed a little easier to us or anything like that. And, that, and it's funny, our first deal, we sold it for less than we bought it for. Oh. And, but we had learned a lot and yes. we learned the, what are the economic drivers of that? What drives the revenue in that asset class? And we understood what we needed to do next time. And we did it again. And we took $250,000. We rolled it into another asset that we knew we could improve. We improved it. Within 18 months, we pulled a million dollars. We sold it, took a million dollars out of that, purchased another facility. That facility is now worth $8 million, And that all started off a... Uh, facility that we bought for 600,000 and put 250,000 down. So just in that simple transaction. And during that time, we really understood how value is created in real estate. And that's really what got us going and seeing, okay, how can we do this? How can we improve this? How can we not just invest and hopefully get a return, right? I, I don't like to do that. I like to actually be in control of our investing strategy, not hope and pray, but just do the numbers. If it makes sense, then you can do the deal because that's repeatable. And that's what creates wealth. That's what creates income. It's a repeatable strategy that you can do over and over and over again. And you can get the compounding effect through income, through equity, and that builds wealth and that does everything else. And it catapults your strategy to get bigger and bigger and achieve all, a lot of the different goals. That's why we picked that asset, even though we do commercial um, we do other things. In fact, we're looking heavily into apartment buildings right now. The storage market is not a very good market right now because of the things that we're talking about. The drivers of value and income right now are actually on the downside. So we're at a point in the cyclical market where um, your revenues through storage because of oversupply, all sorts of different stuff, they're going to be going down instead of up. Yet storage trades at a similar cap rate at this point in time as apartments do, which make no sense at all because apartments are a safer asset than storage facility. So it's not that we're going away from storage. We'll always buy storage because we can buy underperforming assets and turn around. But at the same time, I can't overpay for underperforming assets, right? That doesn't make sense. So it's getting a little harder. So we're doing more in development last mill uh, deal that we did, we've done everything from development to conversion. We bought a bankrupt super Kmart and turned it into a massive uh, climate controlled facility. And there was a huge value play because it was a piece of commercial real estate that was just ginormous, this super Kmart that nobody wanted. It was bankrupt. The city didn't know what to do with it. Nobody knew what to do with it. We bought it for pennies on the dollar. Um, we bought it for 8 million. We sold off all the parking to an apartment developer. We had, and then we built the storage facility. We had seven million into it, um, and today it's we're still under a year of opening, and today the revenues alone are at a hundred plus thousand, and it's worth twenty twenty five million. So um, wow. we're looking for plays like that in good, safe, secure markets that we can do. So there's still huge opportunity, but it, it's, it's getting harder to find. So we're moving around and looking at other investments that we can drive that value or create that value through the increasing of revenues. So what city and state was that deal in? That was done in Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. And where are you located? I'm located in Boise, Idaho. Okay. And where do you do your investing? So we've done them all over the Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Nevada. Um, our, we started out in Northern Idaho, then we moved down to 
um, the Boise area, but it's become so overbuilt, we're actually looking at um, selling some assets in those markets to get out of them. And so we moved to Reno um, and now we're, Reno's becoming overbuilt. So now we're looking at other markets and trying to find other deals somewhere where we can get the, you know, the economic drivers are gonna help us not fight because you can't fight against that stuff, right? That, that's, that's really important to understand that it doesn't matter how great your asset is, if you have, you know, way more rooms or way more units and way more office space than is needed, prices go down and your revenue drops and whatever you value that, now you're negative or going, oh, there's no point in doing a bad deal. So right. um, we can wait and do good deals and drive good value. Right. So why don't you tell us about how you, how does one add value in a self-storage deal? Yeah. So I, I'm totally nerdy about self-storage because I absolutely love it. So we did look at a few, we look at really three degrees. So uh, first we have, we look at the actual, um, we look at the location, right? And the physical asset, we look at how it looks. So the perceived value from customers, which is really twofold, how it looks and the service that they get from it. Okay. So we look if we can change that, if we can change the looks, if we can change the service, and then we look if we can change the financial side. So are they under market rents or what, is, what are they charging versus the value that they're pro, uh, providing? And lots of times that gets really out of whack, right? So they're not providing very good value and the revenues are just really, really low when you can easily go in and change the looks, the services, some of the product types that you're investing in, and you can raise the revenues associated with that um, within your storage facility. So we go first, we go and we approach that and we do that in a few different forms. So we offer things like insurance boxes, we do different kinds of sales, but really what we do is once we improve the looks, we always go in and redo the office. We always put 100, 150,000 into it, pavements, things like that. And we hire the right people. We do lots of training. We do sales training, all that kind of stuff. And then we move into something called dynamic pricing. Dynamic pricing is what we all see when we're using like airlines, right? And, and um, hotels are famous for it. The price changes based upon customers. Well, in self-storage, that's how we do the same thing to maximize the square foot because demand isn't the same to everyone, right? And demand changes based upon your own supply and demand within your, and your storage facility. So the more you have open, the less the prices, but as that fills up, your prices continually go. So no two units are priced the same. And that helps us maximize those revenue. Well, most people just do standardized pricing. Well, we can come in, change the pricing structure, dramatically increase the revenues and, and correlate that with the value that is perceived or being offered to the customer. Those two things combined really turn out to be a home run for us. Wow. Now, do you ever um, resize the units that are in a self-storage facility? Is that yes. something you ever have to? Oh, okay. I, mean, yes, I am not a self-storage expert, never done it. Yeah. So coming at it, you know, with a yeah. fresh set of eyes. So and that can be hard and that's it's okay. So this is a really good point because some you can't, some they're just not built and the cost doesn't make sense to do, right? And you need to understand that going in because if they have 200 five by fives and nobody wants a five by five, but you can't change that structure, you really don't want to buy that, right? But right. we found an asset once that it did. It had like the builder because five by five, you got better square foot revenue. They built hundreds of them. Nobody <laughs> wanted them. And it, their occupancy was like 55% or something like that. 
but we went in and we could remove the walls and create 10 by 10s, five by 10s and everything else like that. So we went in and changed it and we only had like 50 five by fives left and we just filled up rapidly because we changed the supply and demand given at that product type. So yes, yes, you can. Well, you can in certain facilities. Right, right. It, it is a factor to consider. So yes, yeah. Exactly. What are, um, what are some other, like, do you have a story of maybe, you know, one of the ones where you did, sounds like this one you just did, but what's another story where you added um, a lot of value? I have a lot of stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> we love the stories. Yes. So we, we picked up um, a, a great story. It was kind of a hidden gem. And, it, and I think this comes really down to understanding your trade. When we first started, we would have never saw this value. But after we got going and little footsteps, you learn, right? You build processes, you figure out the asset type more. We found this asset that was owned by a city and the city wasn't supposed to own competing businesses. They got forced, they had to sell it. They had an appraiser come out and appraise the asset and it was appraised at, I think it was 3.2 million, right? Well, we looked at this asset and we took it and they'd done a terrible job. It, would look, it looked crappy. The state put no, nothing into it, right? It was horribly looked. Their rents were super low. And we had an asset that was just down the road, right? And its revenues were double what that was. And at the end of the day, it's still just space you're selling. And so we looked at this and we thought, okay, well, this could be a great opportunity. But because it was an auction, everybody went and got the financing done based upon the given appraisal. Well, we do not let banks tell us what we can afford and we do not let appraisers tell us what things are worth. So we automatically <laughs> knew just because he's an appraiser doesn't mean he's right. So we went and took, went to our bank and we said, listen, we're going to overlap what we can do onto this facility and we're going to show you a totally different story. They went and had their appraiser come out and appraise it and he appraised it for a million over what it was. So we walk into this auction we're the only one with this new information, the only one with this appraisals, and you have REITs down there, everything else like that, and we're bidding it, we're bidding it, we're going up, and all of a sudden it passes the appraisal, and we're still going, and people are like, what in the world? Like, are you doing it? And then finally, we got to a point which was our top. Nobody else chose it. We got it, and they're like, how'd you get banks to finance it at that level of appraisal? And I'm like, well, that was your appraisal, not our appraisal, and so we went, we purchased it. The next day, we gave it was like 160% rate increases to some people. The average rate increase was 75%. Within two months, our occupancy was higher and our rates had over doubled on the facility, making it worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 million. And wow. we purchased it for four. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. What a great story. I yeah. love it. <laughs> Yep. So that's a, a, you know, it was a great way to add value, to increase the rates and um, do it, which uh, and it was an opportunity that everybody knew about, but nobody saw it. And um, that was a really good, and of course, you know, six months later, everybody's like, we should have bought that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that was, that was, a, that was a fun. That man. Okay. I couldn't have asked for a better story. That is like fantastic. So um, as we wrap up here, I would love to have you just um, reiterate, because I don't know, before we started recording, you talked about four times the number of inventory with self-storage, uh, or four times the amount of inventory coming online because there's lots of facilities being built, right? And now it's not to say there's not opportunities in self-storage, because you guys are still going to be doing it, but um, what would you warn people um, that are considering self-storage, knowing how much is coming online, how should that impact their 
um, due diligence and strategy. So this is really important. And this is really important for anybody because at this point in the economic cycle, we're at the top. Credit is flowing, money is easy. Well, the government will eventually constrain the money supply in the market by the use of interest rates. And that will inevitably cause cap rates to go up and revenues to start dropping. And what happens at the top of the cycle is because this is always com uh, combined with oversupply because credit's easy. Well, self storage has been in a boom. So right now we, there's like four times the amount of money being built, uh, being allocated to self storage. So there's four times the amount of development than the next highest point in history. So it's really unprecedented what's going on in the industry right now. And um, self-storage is month to month. So you do need to be careful. There's massive opportunity, but if you're in a, uh, in a city that's overbuilt, if you build a storage facility and two other guys build it, and there's only 10% of the population uses storage, and yet you have enough supply for 20% of this population, you're going to be 50% empty, right? You just can't fight against that. So if you're buying a storage facility or you're going to build a storage facility, you need to understand who's building. You need to understand what lands, go down to the city, say what land is approved for self-storage and what have you permitted to be built? Where is it? Look within your three to five mile radius and understand that because when people are going in, they're getting financing because they're getting comps at, you know, whatever the uh, rental, maybe it's a dollar a square foot a month, right? And they're building and five other guys are building. So now all of a sudden you're competing and your real revenue that you're getting is 60 cents a square foot. Um, that's you're going to have a very unhappy bank and your P&L is going to show it and it's going to be very difficult for you to make money. That's especially true then when you go to refinance or whatever and you're less and you got to refinance and you can't even meet. So it, you can get in a scary situation. So like all things, there's risk and there's opportunity. That's the biggest thing that you need to understand in storage is your competition because storage, we compete. Um, one of the reasons we are so successful is because our marketing strategy, we get the customers before the customers even know that other people exist. And so you're out competing for those tenants, right? So you really need to understand the supplies and demand, not today, but in three years, because that's when it's really going to affect you. And you need to know what's coming on board and you need to know how you're going to compete with those players. Wow. Well said. Thank you so much for explaining that. So um, I'd love for you to tell our listeners about our free download that you're offering, the Net Worth Calculator. So go ahead, what is this? So, you know, I've developed a few calculators. I'm really passionate. When I, when I got started getting started, I'm like, I wanna have an investment strategy and I wanna see how it'll go based upon my income, how much I can invest, things like that. There's just nothing out there for it. So I, I started out and I made this huge calculator, which it was like, all these investment things. It's just because it was something I wanted and it was awesome. And then I thought, you know, I need to give some, something to people though that they can actually get started in. Like, where's your baseline level, right? And so I developed a net worth calculator to look at how, okay, if I got to go to banks, if I need to go get started or if I'm looking at investing, how much money can I invest? What that looks like in the future? How much should I lend? So I invented a net worth calculator that can help everybody get started and look at their finances. So we're gonna shoot that over to you so you can get it out to people um, and they can start to get a good idea of where they sit, their finances and getting started or expanding to the next level, right? So your assets that you currently have, including those and getting an overall feel for your net worth, that gives you a feel for your risk. It also gives you a good feel for your potential and where you can go. 
Love it. Awesome. So listeners, you can get that by going to hardhatholly.com forward slash 130. So we're episode 130. So hardhatholly.com forward slash 130. You can also get it by texting. Just whip out your phone and text to the number 38470. It's that's almost like a phone number. So you pop it in 38470 and text hard hat with no spaces between it, hard hat to 38470. And I will send you this free download as well as a link to our past downloads. So AJ, how do people get in touch with you, learn more from you and um, other things you have to offer? So, you know, and I'd mentioned that this to you before the call, I, I was sitting in the hospital, they were going to let me go home for five hours to be with my kids. And I was thinking, wow, this is such a blessing. I was so excited to be home with them for Christmas, wondering what they were going to get. And I wasn't worrying about paying the bills. I wasn't worrying about not having work anymore or income. I thought this was really important. So while I was paralyzed and everything, I thought I'm going to start a blog. So I started a blog, Cashflow Freedom, where I just wanted to put out how people create investment strategies and how people map out to financial freedom and really get down to not the end goal, but A to Z, everything in the middle. Like, let's talk about implementation strategies. Let's talk about all this kind of stuff. So Cashflow to Freedom, there's a podcast, there's a blog, and that's uh, Cashflow with the number two freedom. The email on there goes directly to my phone. So you can reach out, learn everything, um, check out the podcast, and yeah. Awesome. So Cashflow, the number two, freedom.com. Fantastic. Well, AJ, thank you so much for sharing your very valuable time. And I'm so glad that you've recovered almost 100%. I'm super happy for you and your family and your adorable kids. I did go to your website. Your family is beautiful. So uh, lucky them, lucky you. So thanks so much. And listeners, get out there, take some action. And don't end up in a situation where you wish you had been prepared and created that passive income. Um, make sure you do it before it's too late. So get out there, guys, and make it happen and make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show and let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.